And we are back with Season 4, Episode 17 of JV to the Pros. Yes! <laughs> Let's get ready to have fun! We are once again back with another thrilling episode of JV to the Pros as we embark on Season 4, Episode 17, with plenty of material to work with. This particular episode will be sports-heavy, but not sports completely, as lots has happened in the news this past week, and some of what has happened, yours truly predicted. I'll fill you in in a moment. Now, since we're concentrating on tons going on in sports this week, I'm going to start the show with the nationally breaking news of the two dumbest criminals of the week. That is Vicki White and Casey White, no relation, who were prison official, that's Vicky, and inmate, that's Casey. And they wanted to be together, so they poorly planned and barely carried out an escape that lasted just longer than the Kentucky Derby. Vicki White, no relation to the inmate Casey White, Casey White was serving 75 years for murder. Developed, they developed an inappropriate relationship in which Casey White managed to talk Vicky White into helping him escape by creating a bogus medical exam for get this mental health fitness they were going to they were going to review Casey White to find out what his mental health condition is <laughs> turns out there was no doctor's appointment at all and it was all a ploy to get Vicky White in a position to get the love of her life, inmate Casey White, out of prison so they can run off together like one of those Hallmark movies. Although those Hallmark movies usually have two people who are remarkably successful and not at all interested in having a relationship until they run into each other and Cupid's arrow punctures both their hearts and they fall in love. In this case... He's a scumbag criminal serving 75 years in prison for murder while being guarded by Vicky White, no relation, and they fall in love and make this weak-ass plan to, to run off together. But, but listen to this. Casey White is still awaiting trial for a 2015 stabbing murder in which he's going to be facing the death penalty, which would put him under the authority of a, a separate group of guards and Vicky White, no relation, would be out of contact with this scumbag criminal. Well, Vicky White and Casey White, no relation, decided to come up with a plan to make it all go away by setting up a medical appointment for Casey White. And then they escaped together into the night. The only part of this plan that worked was the fact that Vicky White, was a who was a recipient of the Employee of the Year in the Correctional Institution and had gained some trust, which gave them some running room. Enough trust to get a six-hour head start before superior officers at the, at the prison realized, hmm, 
Shouldn't they be back by now? Then it took a little time to organize a task force and get their ducks in a row before they headed out to find these two geniuses on the run. Now, I got to wonder what if Vicki White, no relation to Casey White, <clears throat> if she was the employee of the year, how bad was the rest of the candidates for that for that honor? Now, she's a 57-year-old moron that risked her life, her entire life for this loser, criminal, murderer that had no future in the hopes of what? Long idiot story short, they were spotted in Evansville, Indiana by police and after a short high-speed chase and crash, Vicky and her wannabe forever man were trapped. Casey White was rearrested. Vicki White had already been terminated by the corrections office, by the correctional facility, and police surrounded the vehicle, and Vicki White apparently shot herself one time in the head, killing herself at the scene, and was pronounced dead at the hospital. Now, two days before the escape, Vicki White stayed at a hotel and positioned her getaway vehicle so she can switch from the sheriff's, sheriff's vehicle that she began transporting Casey White with to a Ford Escape. Ironic, right? Well, that Ford Escape, like their plan, would eventually break down and they bought another vehicle in Indiana to use as a second getaway vehicle after the sheriff's vehicle so they went from the sheriff's vehicle to her vehicle which was a Ford escape but vicky white used false id to purchase that vehicle which actually helped authorities find the two more quickly now in the grand scheme of things yeah i don't think it would have done any good for vicky white to be going to trial and having to be humiliated and a lifetime of embarrassment and her family and everything. Frankly, I think she did the right thing. She made a bonehead, scummy move that cost her her whole life and she put an end to her life once they got caught. <sighs> now, let's move on to some sports updates as I take a look at the fact that at this time of year, the NBA and the NHL playoffs both go on simultaneously. How great is that, huh? <laughs> so, we will enter our sports segment with... Love it! Okay. I do find the basketball playoffs much more interesting than the boring, repetitive games that take place to the tune of about 80 games a year before almost all the teams from the regular seasons, the regular season, make the playoffs. 
And this is the time when the talent of these giants amongst men and tremendously, amazingly talented athletes go from mailing it in to turning it up for the playoffs. To give you an idea of just how very large these players are, I once got to spend a day with Vladi Divac and Luke Walton, along with the owner of the Sacramento Kings. By the way, the owner of the Sacramento Kings in the 80s was my neighbor down at the beach here in San Diego. And he went on to be worth $2 billion, $2 billion, and own the Sacramento Kings. And he actually remembered me. It was really funny. He thought it was just crazy that I was just so into sports and girls and having a good time while he was uh, creating and, and molding his future. But... um <laughs> I mean, everybody takes a different path. I don't know. I was having a great time in the 80s, I can tell you that. Anyway, to give you an idea of how very large these players are, I took some pictures with them when I spent some time with them. Now, I'm just over six foot tall, 230 pounds. And in these pictures, I look like I'm their son. I mean, we'll post them on our JV, JV to the Pros uh, Facebook page this week, and you'll get an idea of how really large these guys are. That said, this makes for the kind of excitement and thrills that we all wish would go on during the regular season of basketball. I would watch more games if it was like this. So for that reason, I do find the NBA playoffs to be intriguing. But still, we do watch top-tier talent that made the playoffs getting blown out here and there. I watched a game the other night in which uh, I think uh, the Golden State Warriors blew out uh, their opponent by 30. It was just um, crazy. Um, there are teams that have made the playoffs in the NBA but still find themselves losing by a ton, like the one I was just talking about, 30-point loss, I mean, in a playoff game. Here's the deal with the NBA. The playoffs begin in April and don't finish up till mid-June. Most of the games usually are within 10 points. But for those games that you wish you hadn't watched at all, <clears throat> you pay a price as your interest wanes. I will say that many of the post-game press conferences are entertaining and insightful. The other night, um, Boston going against the Bucks of Milwaukee, and the Milwaukee Bucks are the defending champions. Had Giannis Antetokounmpo, I'm pronounce, I'm butchering the hell out of that name, um, Antetokounmpo. <laughs> uh, anyway, Giannis, who was the MVP of the championships last year, as the Bucks came back to win that championship. He um, was doing a press conference, and one of the questions that came up was a critical non-call by the refs that actually benefited the Bucks. And Giannis did not agree with the non-call, but had to watch his mouth at the post-game press conference. And here's what he had to say. Uh, how, wait, hold on. How much uh, does it cost if I take Mr. Dan? Is Mr. Dan here? No? Barry, uh, how much does it cost if I uh, say something, a comment about the ref? Is it 20000 
it's a lot of money. So I should not do it. I save my money. I got to pay for diapers. Uh, How hilarious is that? <laughs> he asks the GM of the Bucks, how much would it cost if he makes some comments about the refs? And he says, what is it, 20000 25000 Yeah, I don't think I'm going to say anything because uh, I'm going to save my money and use it for diapers. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. <laughs> now, going on to the Warriors I just talked about a little bit ago, um, they were dominance for several, several years and found themselves in like four straight NBA finals a few years ago. And they're back in the playoffs this year, and they're making a statement by letting Stephon Curry lead this team through ball movement and making extra efforts to rebound. And um, they've been they've been getting away they've been they've been getting away with not being in the playoffs after not making that effort the last couple of years. But they seem to have gotten the eye of the tiger back. And now they're once again a threat in the NBA. Now that's what makes the NBA playoffs fun and interesting. That said, I have always said that the most difficult sports championship to win is the Stanley Cup. Easily. It's the Stanley Cup. As every single player, through every single line change, through every single power play, through every single overtime game, through every single full speed check into the boards, and every penalty that results in injury tests the tenacity of every single player's resilience as the Stanley Cup playoffs go on for six weeks of the equivalent of what Marines call Hell Week. And that goes on for six weeks. You got broken orbital sockets, lost teeth, fractured bones, chipped joints, all while constantly being cracked by high-flying sticks in front of the net or taking a frozen rubber puck to the body to block a shot to avoid risking that your goalie might have had his path, the path of flight of the puck blocked by, by an obstruction from a player. Only... To win or lose, go home and plop down like a piece of dead meat that, that has only 26 hours to recover for the next game. Because the games in the Stanley Cup are every other day. Now, the series for each round go on for as a best of seven. And unlike the NBA, teams that make the Stanley Cup playoffs have earned their way to the playoffs and are not being given any passes or freebies as participation gifts just for showing up. These players, these players are not screwing around. Once you take the ice, it's on. And they mean business. And that and that business is done once the horn sounds for the end of the game, as long as it isn't going into overtime. Now this year in the first round of the playoffs, the New York Rangers, my New York Rangers, were going up or were are going up against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And in game one, they found themselves tied as the third period ended, only to find themselves going into three, yes, three overtimes before the Penguins finally put the biscuit in the basket. And that's like playing more than two games worth of hockey in one night. In game two, the Rangers would rally back, winning 5-2 to two with a couple of garbage goals on empty nets 
with the goalie pulled to put an extra man on the ice for offense in the hopes that the risk would result in tying the game. Well, that plan doesn't always work well, but if you're behind late in the game, it really becomes a logical option or risk. This is just in part why winning the Stanley Cup is the toughest championship to win of any sport in the world. Recently, the Tampa Bay Lightning won back-to-back Stanley Cups, which is virtually unheard of. I mean, I think the Canadians did it. I think um, the New York Islanders did it in the early 80s. But I mean, so I congratulate them for achieving such a feat. I do think that they won't be going back-to-back-to-back as the rest of the NHL. They're just not going to have it. Now, Tampa Bay, they are in the playoffs, but I don't think they're going back-to-back-to-back. You know, there's a target on your back, and you don't want that while trying to do it again because the entire league doesn't want you doing it again. The Maple Leafs are up against... The Tampa Bay Light. You want to talk about Tampa Bay against Toronto Maple Leafs. You talk about your extreme opposite weather cities. Tampa Bay is like San Diego, while Toronto is mostly like Chicago. Well, that series is tied at two. The Florida Panthers are also tied at two with the Washington Capitals, who just won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. And the Carolina Hurricanes are tied at two with the Boston Bruins. This is what I'm talking about. Oddly, the most evenly matched teams are the Rangers and the Penguins. And right now, the Penguins are actually up 3-1 to one over the Rangers. And, and, and they're the best matched team on paper. This is, this is what I mean about the Stanley Cup playoffs. These guys play for the Stanley Cup like they're playing for their lives. Every second of every moment in the NHL game, it, 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 it's so intense and so fast-moving and so rough and so demanding that it's the most thrilling thing to see in all the sports. All I can say is I'd like to see my Rangers rally back from down 3-1, which in the NHL has, has had many, many teams down 3-1 to one in a playoff series, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and have rallied back to win that series. Actually, it's happened more times than I can count. In the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, anything can happen because each game, each period, each face-off, each line change can alter the course of the game, propelling a team into overcoming a deficit. I love the Stanley Cup playoffs. Now, you want to talk about something else I love? I love Rob Van Dam CBD oil. When my joints or muscles are sore or achy, this CBD oil will relieve your sore muscles and relax your body so that you can rest while your body recovers from a tough workout session or a demanding tennis match or pickleball match or baseball game or just about anything that exhausts that that, that exhausts your body that, that you're given and, and are responsible to take care of. You're given one body. Take care of it. And Rob Van Dam's CBD oil does just that. It keeps the soreness away and lets your body recover. So, Rob Van Dam is a Hall of Fame WWE wrestler who is also a friend of the show and a friend of yours truly for years now. I use Rob's CBD oil and 
as a thank you for alerting our listeners about this wonderfully successful and effective CBD oil, Rob Van Dam has a deal on his website in which he'll give you a discount if you put JV to the pros in the promotions box. He'll give you at least 10% off on every order. Just put JV to the pros in the promo box. So not only do you get great pain relieving product, but you also get a discount on the purchase of that product, which is going to make you feel better and relieve soreness in your joints and muscles. So go to rvdcbd.com and order your CBD oil for your neck, knees, shoulders, elbows, or anywhere that is tight and achy. Rob Van Dam's CBD oil. Check it out and tell them you heard about it on JV to the Pros. rvdcbd.com. Now... Let's get to the baseball picture as my Yankees and my brother's <laughs> Mets are dominating, absolutely dominating both leagues. But let's start with the AL Central first as the Twins are still playing solid ball in a division where everyone else is playing 500 ball. But not to take anything away from the Twins, they are 18-11, and 11, which puts them on a pace to not only get into the playoffs, but to be a top seed. In the AL West, the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, south of L.A., near Disneyland, which is nowhere near L.A., <sighs> but they're called the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. <laughs> With all that fun over their name, the Angels are in first place with the AL West record of 19-11 and 11, with only a one-and-a-half game lead over the always cheating Houston Astros, who I am not rooting for at all. Now, in the AL East, my Yankees are 20-8, and eight, which gives them not only the best record in all of baseball, but a winning percentage of 714, which coincidentally is the same number of home runs Babe Ruth is credited with hitting over the course of his career. You know, I should see if I can get a hold of a friend of mine and a former starting center fielder of those New York Yankees, Billy Sample. Uh, let me see if I can get him on the phone. And if I can't, I'll have producer Karen, the Queen of Queens, the Queen of Queens, New York. Um, I'll see if she can um, take care of handling, editing this. But let me see if I can get Billy on the phone. Please answer, Billy. Billy, Billy, Billy. Answer, Billy! Billy Sample. Come on, Billy. Hello? Hello, Billy. Yes. Hey, Billy, it's Jack in San Diego, Jack Vecchio. Hey, Jack, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, as I've told people for the last 40 years or so, nothing a couple of hundred thousand dollars wouldn't cure. But outside, <laughs> I'm okay. Well, let me, let, me, let me tell you what's going on. Um, I'm actually doing my, uh, my weekly broadcast 
of JV to the pros. And I was in the middle of talking about the, the New York Yankees and how well they're doing. And it crossed my mind. I thought, you know what? You know, I don't think the Yankees have looked this good since 98. Let me, let me see if I can get Billy Sample on the phone and we can talk a little bit about how impressed we are with the, with all that's going on in New York, especially with the Yankees. Now, um, let me let the listeners know this is the former starting center fielder for the New York Yankees. This is Billy Sample on the phone. And Billy, I got you on the, I got you on the air to, to sit there and chat if you got a couple of minutes. Do you have a couple of minutes for me? Yeah, sure, Jack. But uh, let me give the folks a disclaimer. Now, when I was there, and I was there only in 1985, uh, most of the people, if they're old enough to remember, probably associate me with the Texas Rangers. But I did get a year with the Yankees, a year in pinstripes. And in that year, it was Guidry's last 20-win season. It was Mattingly's MVP season. Uh, Phil Negro won his 300th that year. And the outfield, for the most part, was Ricky Henderson, Dave Winfield, and Ken Griffey Sr. So we had two Hall of Famers and uh, an All-Star Game MVP who sired uh, with his ex-wife, a Hall of Famer and Ken Griffey Jr. And I was sort of the fourth outfielder for the most part. I got whatever crumbs wasn't um, they didn't want. And uh, it was Yogi Berra's last 16 games as a manager and Billy Martin's whatever tenure it was for Billy there. So there was a lot going on. There was something going on every day. Uh, you could cut the tension with a knife when George was around, George Steinbrenner was around. And the matrix between the media and Billy Martin and back to the players and up and around, was whew, it, was, uh, it was something to behold. Uh, we won 97 games that year. But Toronto won 99, and there was no wild card that year, and they won the division. Uh, they lost to Kansas City in, uh, after having a 3-1 to one lead in the series, and then Kansas City, uh, with some help, uh, defeated St. Louis. So there's your, <laughs> there's your error. <laughs> when you say with some help, that's the year yeah. there was the famous no-blown call at first base, which cost St. Louis the World Series, really. Yeah, yeah, that was in Game Six, and yep. uh, it, it did. It did. Uh, Call for him, Mike Fight, <laughs> Cardinals, the World Series, and if it had been played today, then things would have changed because they would have had the replay to uh, to verify. Yeah, you could have challenged uh, it, and that would have been the World Series right there. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. But right. the Cardinals have won a few on their own, so. <laughs> I, but. I can't feel but so sorry for them, but uh, yeah, they, they certainly deserve that one. And Behind have- the Yankees, I think the Cardinals have the most World Series, don't they? Right. You're and- absolutely right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I- I'll tell you what. I mean, you got to you got to be a teammate with uh, with Ricky Henderson, and um, a couple of years ago, I actually um, spent um, New Year's weekend with Ricky. And I was really surprised at how very understated he is when he's off the field. I was surprised. Like I've got pictures with him and stuff. And um, we brought in uh, we brought in 2018 together, and um, uh, we did it in downtown San Diego. And I was surprised at how low key he is when he's off the field. Did you did you find that to be true as well? 
Well, I can understand what you're saying. I think because he is so broad on the field, so um, you know what's the what's the term? But, but he he's you know he's there, and you know something's revolving around him when he's on the field. And yeah, I, I could see where he'd be a little subdued uh, off the field. I was surprised more, Jack, at his build. I didn't realize how built he was playing against him for all the years that I'd played against him before we were teammates in '85. Uh, I just how cut he was. Yeah. Um, and, and and the leg strength that he has. Not many people can steal a base bouncing off the base the way that he does. So it just bounces and takes off. Uh, it takes an awful lot of leg strength to, to steal a base like that. And he was a he was going to. I think the last time I spoke to Rick, it was about four years ago, and he was going to Arizona or Arizona State on a football scholarship. And he talked about running the stairs of the stadiums and things of that nature. And it really gave him tremendous leg strength. And, and uh, but he wanted to. Well, his, his his scout and his mother didn't want him to play football. So they somehow maneuvered so that he would he would play baseball and and the rest is history. I guess of the good maneuvering by mom. <laughs> Moms know. <laughs> Moms know this stuff. <laughs> yeah, but that's cool though that that you you got to bring in the New Year's. But I'm you. All you stars out there together, that's pretty good. That's right. He did play for the Padres a while, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, you kidding? He was hilarious. As a uh, as a matter of fact, um, um, I was hanging around the Padres. Um, I had gotten um, a pass to be able to park in the player parking lot. Because, I mean, you know I've been playing adult ball forever. But, I mean, I never played pro. I wish, I wish. But um, I'm still pitching. And... Um, and I got a chance to hang around with Steve Garvey and Kevin Mitchell, and and when the Mets would come into town, Kevin McReynolds and Daryl Strawberry and and the kid Gary Carter, and I got a kick out of Gary Carter. Oh my God, I got a kick out of Gary Carter. <laughs> and you want to talk about a thirteen-year-old kid in a grown man's body? He was so much fun. Uh-huh. And we so would the, the moniker applied then. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because um, a good friend of mine, uh, Lance McCullers. Which I think you played okay. against, you know, Lance. I don't know him personally, but yes, I know. Yeah, he played. I think yeah. he played on the Yankees right after you left. Um, uh, okay. He came in, and I, I've told this story years ago on the show. But I'll, I'll he he um, he let me know that he'd gotten traded to the Yankees, and I thought, oh my God, that's fantastic. And um, he had a Ford Bronco two, and those were the cars, the, the SUVs that had the tire mounted to the back of the back um, door. And right. his very first pitch in a Yankees uniform went for a home run. And when he went out to the player parking lot at Yankee Stadium, his <laughs> one. <laughs> 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 he called me up and he said, "You're not going to believe this." He said, "My somebody stabbed one of my tires, and also stabbed a spare on my back on my back door." And, oh my and he said, "He said I don't know what to do about it. I thought that security kept everybody out of there." And I said, "I don't think that's about security. I think that's about the fact that your first pitch went for a home run." <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's awful! Yeah. Well, when I when I was there, Jack Ed Whitson was there, and he was a former Padre uh, who went from San Diego as a free agent to the Yankees, 
and he had a, a tough start. And people were putting, somebody was putting tacks in his driveway, and uh, he had all kinds of trouble like that. And it, <laughs> it, it didn't endure him to to feeling good about New York anyway. He's kind of an old country boy from eastern Tennessee, and and uh, when things go wrong in the big city, I, I, I'm guessing he had no idea that, um, that that was even in play. And, and well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you two stories. Away. I'll tell you two quick stories. And I don't need. I don't think you. Uh, you. You know what? You might. Eddie Lee Whitson. Eddie Lee Whitson was very popular here in San Diego, and I. I got to spend some time with them after a game. We went to a, a bar called Confetti's one night, and uh, this was before there was no smoking in in bars. I didn't realize he smoked like a chimney. I mean, he was a chain smoker. I didn't understand how he was an athlete and a smoker. I mean, he well, was... you, you remember that way back in the early days of, of, of cigarette advertising, that doctors were uh, often the ones used to advertise cigarettes as well as ballplayers back in the day. Yeah, but four out of five doctors recommend Marlboro yeah. or Benson yeah. and Hedges. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Now the other the other story I was going to tell you was a Yankee story that um, well producer Karen you know, and you know my wife Karen and um, uh -huh. she, yeah she does the post production stuff on the show and um, she got to spend some time with Mariano Rivera and um, uh -huh. she took pictures with them and actually got to spend uh, an afternoon. He told a very interesting story about um, one season. Uh, the first series of the season was against the Red Sox. And Mariano Rivera came in, in in game one in a save opportunity and blew the save. And in game two, he came in again in a save opportunity and completely uncharacteristically blew the save again. Now, his home out in Long Island had a garage that was attached by a breezeway. Do you know this story? No, I haven't heard it. Oh, so he had this long breezeway where they had the laundry and everything that connected his garage to his home. And his garage went on fire. And it burned the garage completely down and part of the breezeway down. And Mariano Rivera was really freaked out about this. And the fire marshal came out to investigate and discovered that it was arson. And oh Mari Mar Mariano Rivera, this is a true story. And this is coming from Mariano Rivera himself. And he said to the investigator, what should I do about this? And the investigator said, don't blow saves against the Red don't Sox and you'll saves. be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> and he oh, said, that's, that's a true good. story. He said they stopped oh, the investigation right there. <laughs> Oh my goodness, that's just... Oh. New Yorkers take their sports seriously. Like in San Diego, when San Diego loses, they go to the beach. I mean, they've got a great plan B. They just, they, they go surfing or something. They they, they they go skateboarding or rollerblading or something. They, they they you know, there's a lot to do here. But it, but when you, when you have your focus on your team, you really are depending. Like people in Pittsburgh, they need the Steelers to do well, you know. 
Oh, that's uh, oh, that's awful. I've not heard this. <laughs> when you run into Mariano Rivera, and I'm sure you will eventually, and you, you know, you you could ask him about that because he didn't just tell Karen that story. He's actually told sports reporters that story, and I don't know if you remember Ted Leitner here in San yeah. Diego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Ted Leitner was, you know the sports god of sports broadcasting in Southern California. And Ted Leitner has told that story on his show. So, yeah, Mariano Rivera, (laughs) and his home has been just fine ever since. (laughs) Well, that's just awful. Well, I I guess compared to that, Eddie Lee Whitson was uh, given. <laughs> yeah. Given yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he had tax on his driveway. Ooh, so bad. <laughs> I mean, people in San Diego would take Eddie Lee out for drinks, even if he if he blew the game. I mean, if, if they ran up ten runs, they didn't care. San Diego just you know welcomes everybody. You know, it's kumbaya here. You know. Yeah, yeah. I could see going to the beaches of. Uh, La Jolla after a game, yeah. Well, if you can see going to the beaches of La Jolla, then when you're out here, you stay at our house, and we're three miles from La Jolla Cove. We're literally three miles. Like, literally from from the front of our house, you can see the San Diego Bay and the Pacific Ocean from the pool. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, I'm going to get my address. <laughs> yeah. You you have an open invitation. You come here. We got a master bedroom. We got a master bedroom that has its own bathroom and closet and everything. And that's our guest. We have two master bedrooms. So you could stay in the spare master bedroom. Nobody's in there. Oh, oh, Jack, thank you very much. I might take you up on that one. I hope you do. Yeah. I hope you do. I'll work, on, I'll, work on, I'll work on my neck exercises, too, because I'm sure I'll be snapping them. It's the top 1% of the most beautiful women in the world here. Yes. <laughs> Fortunately, we have a jacuzzi right next to the pool so you can relax your neck. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I tell you, I, I, I've always enjoyed Southern California. Well, California, period. Maybe not always for the most um, <laughs> proper of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want, Billy. We don't want to get too into it here. But um, but <laughs> did you did you um? I sent you some pictures. Uh, you you saw that I went to the um global premiere of Top Gun Two Maverick. Now, now where are you in the movie? Because I want to make sure that I see you. Well, you see, you see, we have an we have an NDA until the twenty seventh of May. Um, I just had uh, I just had Tony Cox on last week, who's in the movie with me, and we told one of the stories in which we did a scene in which a fighter jet was supposed to be coming right at the camera, and um, he came in he came in way too low, and Tony and I. Um, in the scene, we thought we were going to have to hit the ground. I mean, he was coming in so dead center that the needle on the front of the fighter jet, we couldn't see any side of the needle from any direction. We only saw the dot in the front, like he was coming right at us like a dartboard. And um, Tony and I both thought we were going to have to either jump off the cliff we were standing on or just hit the ground. And that fighter jet, we had a flag that was over the camera by about I don't know, 15 or 20 yards over the camera, and the fighter jet clipped the flag. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. 
and oh. and of course the wind blew us over. I mean, we were we were really frightened. I mean, you know, and and we did that scene probably a dozen times. And you know, the thing I pointed out is uh, first of all, Tom Cruise does all his own flying in this movie. My goodness. Yeah, he learned to fly a fighter jet, and there's no CG with him flying. He flies all the scenes. So he got licensed to fly a fighter jet, and he flew it in this movie. That's the first thing, you know, that, that, <laughs> that I want to point out. The, the other thing um, that, that I wanted to talk to you about is, um, is that the, the cast... A lot of the cast from the original brought back, like Tom Skerritt, etc. Um, but John Hamm is in this. Um, Val Kilmer is brought back. Um, but on if you're at, if you get out here by the twenty seventh, um, some of the cast um, and myself are going to go to the first night it opens and, and oh. watch the movie together. So if you're out here by the twenty seventh, um, you know, because I'm a member of the. Um, Academy Awards nomination committee, so we we get to go in oh, wow. and see movies for free. We just we just sign in and and then we sign in our guests and we get to and we've got this golden ticket, if you will, to be able to go into any theater in the country and watch any movie we want, which is wonderful. Wow. With the cost of movies. Excuse me, Jack. Do you have to abstain from voting for for a movie that you're in? No. No, here's the great thing. Um, it, it, we we get we get a list of um, of possible nominees, and our job is to pick a certain number of nominees, and then if everybody on the voting committee votes for the same eight or ten, then those become the front runners of the oh. the movie. Yeah, that's the way it works. So um, yeah, I mean, um, when I was in the Gambler with Kenny Rogers, um, it was up for an Emmy and I wasn't on the committee back then but friends of mine who worked on the film were and they thought it was a quality project especially with Reba McIntyre and um Rick Rick Rosovich actually I've worked with Rick Rick is in Rick is in the the sequel he played um he played in uh, Val Kilmer's uh, partner in the original and um Rick and I uh we were on ER together um, back huh. when, back when ER was the biggest show on the planet, and um, sure. say what? I said sure, yeah, yeah. I, so um, I mean, this is like ninety one or two when ER was dominating t television, and um, I played Rick Rosovich's uh, best man when he was getting re ready to marry um, um, Margulies and steal her away from George Clooney. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so well, you're 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 a good looking guy. You probably could have stole her away yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're too kind, but I'll tell you what. Um George Clooney and I've worked with like everybody in show business, but George Clooney may have the most perfect looking face. Ever, I mean, I mean, I thought I thought Richard Gere when I worked with him. I thought that's a that's a good looking man, but but George Clooney is just. I mean, he just has this perfect look about him. And by the way, yeah, don't let your guard down around him. He is a perpetual practical joker. He's always yeah, looking for his next practical. Yeah, I mean, so he so it's it's always on with him. But um, but anyway, but I wanted to, I wanted to talk to you about how how impressive. 
the, the Yankees have been this year. I know the Mets are, are doing very well, but the Yankees are killing it. Well, <laughs> again, let me, let me first back you off a little bit. I know you've got your New York roots, and, and uh, people around here don't rush to judgment. They sprint to judgment. And uh, <laughs> played about one played about one-fifth of the season now, so let's not get carried away. I know you're in first place. What's the record, 20 and 8 or something? 20 and 8. If uh, you win 20 of your first 28, you're in pretty good shape. I mean, the 84 Tigers won 35 of their first 40. That was pretty impressive. I wouldn't have wanted to be the National League yeah, team. Yeah, I, I, I saw <laughs> six of those. I saw six of those, too. You, you saw <laughs> six of the first 40? Yeah, I saw them, yeah. All in the Tigers category. All in the win category. Yeah, they. I mean, they were just. They were in a. They were in another planet. Yeah, <clears throat> and actually, Toronto uh, closed uh, at some point. Closed uh, uh, close to them. Didn't obviously didn't overtake them, but um, made it competitive a little bit down the stretch. But yeah, that thirty-five and five. You start out. Yeah, like they that. got they got within they got within four and a half games, and it looked like any weekend it could swing. And then the Tigers weren't going to. The Tigers were not going to have it. I mean, they wow, just. How did you know that off the top of your head? That's pretty. That's impressive. <laughs> the reason I the reason I know that is I often joke about the fact that I think, in my opinion, the two greatest teams to ever take the field were the '98 Yankees and the '84 Tigers. I think they're the two Hard greatest teams. Yeah. You, especially in our lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the San Diego Padres, I live in San Diego, the San Diego Padres went against both of them. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they went against, oh, they, they, they went into the World that, Series against the two Mark greatest. Gibson went out to, uh, to Gibson and said he doesn't want, he wants to pitch to you. That's right. They had a base open. Uh, Gossage was pitching to Kirk Gibson. They had a base open. Um, but um, Gossage didn't want to walk Gibson because he'd had success against him. And then uh, and Sparky Anderson said something like, he, he wants to pitch to you, wants to pitch to you. And, and then Gibson hits the, I think it was a three-run homer. It had to be a three-run homer. Uh, and that was big towards uh, the Tigers winning. I think they won it in, what, five games? I think they won yeah, they won, it, they won in five. And, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and by the way, that wasn't even the greatest home run Gibson ever hit. <laughs> I mean, in game one, in game one of the '88 series, when Gibson goes walking up to the to the plate like he needs a walker, and they can barely balance him on his knees, I I had my money on the A's, and I remember with a full count and Eckersley throwing that backdoor slider, I had my hand on the hotel room door to go cash in my ticket. As I heard Vin Scully said, it's long enough. It's gone. <laughs> and Mike Davis comes running around, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. Right. Gibson only could hit a home run is the only way he would have gotten on base. <laughs> That's right. And you mentioned Mike Davis. A lot of people forget that he stole second uh, during that at-bat, which I thought really helped because it took some of the pitch selection away from Eckersley. Yes, and Gibson, the advanced scout, and I can't think of his name right now, but I can picture the advanced scout had um, had told uh, the the Dodgers to uh, be aware of uh, Eckersley trying to backdoor slider, 
And I think that was part of what was in Gibson's mind, too. Well, Gibson, so Gibson a, said that he... When when it got the three two and then he he fouled off that one that um, um, Mark McGuire picked up just foul. I mean, if he had just picked mm-hmm. it up about a foot sooner, he could have just tagged Gibson game over. And it went just foul by the time McGuire picked it up. And Gibson said in an interview years later that um, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I did the broadcast at the '92 All Star Game of that at bat. I did the broadcast at that All-Star game for that at bat. And Gibson had said in an interview that year that he thought the only pitch Eckersley can throw at this point to a lefty is a backdoor slider. And Gibson just needed to time it. Uh-huh. Jeez. I know. And uh, when you see Canseco go back, Canseco goes back about two steps and he realized there's no way. I wonder if, if the baseball players who have had successful football careers, as Gibson did at Michigan State, are used to the big moments. And the, and it seems like they come through, maybe it's just my imagination, but they come through so well in big moments. And I wonder if it's because the bigger moments, in a way, are football. Those are pass plays with a lot of cheering and the crowd doesn't bother you the, the the moment doesn't bother you because you've come through in big moments like that i, I sometimes wonder if you, you know what i i actually think you're exactly right i think i think some guys are built for it frankly as a jets fan i've gone through hell with tom brady on the patriots and um there were times when i would be talking to fellow jets fans we're watching the game at a place we all hang out and um it seemed like Brady would almost let the other team get a little lead so he can take it away in the fourth quarter. Like it seemed like it seemed like he was doing it on purpose. You know, it was like by design. Yeah, yeah they and they say that people like Eddie Murray, they, they say that his his blood pressure doesn't change in regular situations or uh, crucial situations. He's always the same and I wonder if that helps. It seems like it must help because you don't get you don't get excited. You don't get out of yourself a little bit. You don't start to worry. You don't squeeze the bat any harder, or, or uh, you're just even killed all the way through every at bat, which I would imagine would be an advantage. And he certainly hit the ball like he uh, he wasn't bothered by anything. Yeah, you know, younger fans probably don't remember Eddie Murray, but I mean, he had over 500 home runs, and he was. He was cool like the other side of the pillow. He just, he could be in an 0-2 count, and um, you see him at Camden Yards, he could just turn on one. Yeah, yeah. And before that, in uh, Old Memorial Stadium, uh, that was was a tough stadium to play. The lights, I guess maybe because they used to play minor league ball there, the light stanchions aren't quite as high. It was that way in Old Arlington Stadium, too. And every line drive, I mean every line drive, Went into the lights. <laughs> <laughs> You're waiting for Crash Davis to show up, right? <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Well, I've cost us a couple of games there. Uh, one there, and it cost us one in Baltimore where I just, you just run into a bank of lights. And most line drives at some point will have a little tail on it where the, it'll fall a little bit. But every once in a while, somebody hit one. In fact, Eddie Murray hit me one in Baltimore that just, he just smoked it. It never came out of the lights. And and Lamar Johnson, who was a good 
good hitter as well, a good line drive hitter, a strong line drive hitter. Hit me one in Arlington, and I ran to a spot and didn't see it. And I'm the kind of guy, Jack, that I, I'll sit there. I won't give an indication that I don't see the ball because I don't want to tip off the, the base runners in case they're on ba- their base runners on. Uh, so I'd rather it hit me in the face and fall in front of me than <laughs> somewhere on my body. So it's in front of me, not off to the side somewhere where everybody's going to score. And it never happens when there's nobody on base. It always happens in the crucial situation. Runners on base, game on the line, line drive to the left. Oh, my goodness. And you're talking about guys that live for that moment. You know, like there's a, there's a select percentage of guys that really – really love to just absorb that that moment where it's like full count like you know like Kirk Gibson in 88 or you know Eddie Murray I mean I actually um I've made a lot of comments on this show about the fact that Derek Jeter was that guy yeah yeah but and it seems like the great players always have that moment but a rod uh, a rod was not well, G- yeah well I'm going back to Jeter but Jeter what is it 3,000 hit with a home run. I know. You just, you can't write that kind of stuff. Right. Or, or Cal Ripken Jr. when he uh, broke the longevity of Blue Garrick's uh, streak. He hits a home run in the game. It was against the Angels, I remember. And it's just like these guys, the great players seem to have, they come through in the great moment. Cal Ripken, so, Cal, Ripken hit, Cal Ripken hit a home run in the game that he tied Garrick's streak. And he hit a home. And he hit a home run in the game that he broke it. That he broke. Okay, I remember one of the. Yeah. My goodness, you have a steel trap memory. My well, oh. you know, I, I, I one day, one day when you come out here, or maybe when we're talking off the air, um, I can tell you why the game in which Cal Ripken tied Garrick's record, why it was delayed a, a day. I'll tell you what happened because I found out. Um, I found out firsthand why it was delayed a day. And um, oh, okay. yeah, remember? Um, you remember the game was supposed to be played, and the generator went out at, at in Baltimore, and they had to postpone the the game in which Cal Ripken was going to tie Garrick's record. They had to postpone it one day. I didn't think it was that time. I know the game you're talking about where the generator blew. Yeah, I, the, I was thinking that was another game. Was well, that, all f- I, I all four generator game. systems blue all four <laughs> and um and years later i found out the truth of what what actually happened i'll i'll tell you off the air but um uh, or maybe no, when i'm I when i'm done with the show i'll call you back but i found out i think i, I think i know where you're going yeah I've okay yeah so you know what yeah. i'm talking about you know I, I i brought up crash davis a little while ago Oh, yes, yes, I got you. Okay, all right, yeah. yeah. We're, we're not talking in pig Latin, but we are talking way, around. And by the way, in Bull Durham, there weren't any Susan Sarandons in the minor leagues. I'm going to tell you that right off, because I was looking. I didn't see <laughs> <laughs> I, I, in, the, in the majors, in the majors, yes. In the low minors, <laughs> I, I'll tell you something. When I was when I was a candidate for the uh, for the '84 Olympic boxing team, there were um, short school buses, and they weren't short school buses because they should be wearing helmets. 
of of fans following Draft and Bunch and James Kinchin and Vanda Holyfield and and following us around from match to match, and um, and it was a Sports Illustrated type of situation. These girls were these girls were the top of the crop. I mean, I understand what you're saying about no Susan Sarandons in in the in the minors. And I get what you're saying. I think the girls are more like the little blonde that accompanied her in the in the minors in that in that movie, right? Yeah, yeah, and I think she got married to one of the guys. Yeah, she she was the, the kind of dingy chick. Yeah. 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 I think they, yeah. Well, I don't know. Durham, North Carolina. He might have had Susan Sarandons, but I, I well, maybe nowadays. Back <laughs> back forty years ago, I uh, I didn't see them. Yeah, I, I did, had a I had a lot of time on my hand, and I didn't see him. Well, maybe not. <laughs> no matter what, you got to be a, you got to put the uniform on. I mean, I, I'm playing adult ball, and I was so glad when the Yankees put an adult team here in Southern California. As a matter of fact, I'm still grateful to um, to my coach um, Roy. The first phone call he made was to find out if I was signed with anybody, and I hadn't gotten a call yet, and I thought maybe it was over. And I was the first call he made. He said, you want to wear the pinstripes? And it's the same Yankee uniform that the pros wear, and we're playing adult baseball. And, Billy, anytime you want to you want to come out and, and put, the, put the pinstripes on again, we will give you whatever number you want as long as it's not mine. <laughs> <laughs> what number is yours? I, I wear twenty four. I was a big I was a big Robbie Cano fan, and um, ah, I wear twenty four. Also, my wife and I our lucky number is twelve, and uh, we were married on the twenty fourth, twelve and twelve. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, now you're going to try to get Cano to play for you. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Z might be managing him into something else that's worth a little bit more. <laughs> he did get him two hundred million in Seattle, though. <laughs> that's right. That's true. <laughs> I think if it had stayed with the Yankees, he might have been a Hall of Famer. Oh, although about now, about five I miles. I thinking at the time, and I realized he went for more money, a lot more money yeah. in Seattle at the time. But my goodness, if he could just stay with the Yankees, I, I'm thinking that it it, it assures his Hall of Fame status. Yeah, the Yankees offered him one twenty four. And Seattle, Jay-Z negotiated 200 in Seattle, and Seattle got the money together and gave him 200. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a big difference. That's a big difference. I mean, frankly, um, Ted Leitner often commented about the fact that Tony Gwynn was constantly offered money to be a DH for the Yankees and um, wanted to stay here in San Diego where he lived and where his roots are and everything. But over the course of Tony Gwynn's career, he left somewhere between 36 and $40 million on the table. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that turned out to be huge. I mean, as a matter of fact, his, his family just sold... His seven-bedroom, seven-bath estate up in uh, up in Poway—they just sold it for like a bargain. I mean, I think they gave it away for like one point seven or something. Okay, what is Tony Junior doing then? Uh, Tony Junior is doing some uh, Ford commercials for a dealership here, and I think he's still involved 
with college sports and that kind of thing. The only thing uh, that keeps coming up is, um, is you know, his dad, you know, passed away from from cancer, from chewing, from right. putting the chewing. Right. right. And right. and Tony G- the only vice Tony had. Right. And Tony was Tony was pure as the driven snow, except for the uh, chew. No. No. And his son always has a wad in his mouth unless he's doing a commercial and he takes it out long enough to do his piece and then puts it right back in. And his son has always got chew in his mouth. Oh, geez. Oh, well. I mean, it's an addiction. Uh, it's it's actually it's actually an addiction like like cocaine or something. It's 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 not something that you could ju- you got to get you got to get treatment to get off of that. Yeah, yeah, that's why they put the nicotine in it. Yeah. That's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Without the nicotine, you could stop any time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So, Jack, here's a question I've got for you. Since you you're into everything, and you've mastered so many things. Do you ever think about writing? a your own george plimpton movie actually it's funny it's funny you say that most people don't know it but i've i've written probably um i've written for other people probably a hundred scripts and um about 10 years ago i rewrote 12 angry men for a stage production in Uh which in which i incorporated four female jurors it took me like four years to write it because i'm a guy and i don't understand how a woman's mind thinks but it took me like four years to understand how they how a female would equate the evidence differently than a man and um and the show was actually held over for five weeks and we've been asked repeatedly to to do the show again and they're they're trying to get my approval to to do the show but i've been so busy with other things you you know you know i'm uh i'm starring on a tv show now right did i tell you no no yeah i'm starring on a i'm starring on a tv show on amazon prime called promise land all one word promise land and um and i'm the lead character i'm matthias golden and um oh my goodness i didn't know that I, yeah I, you know what it just occurred to me as i was saying it i was thinking we've never talked about it but uh we went into production a year ago march and um uh if you've ever seen uncut gems with adam sandler where he plays the crooked jewish jeweler um and he's up to all sorts of no good including mistresses and kind of a tony soprano type guy uh-huh. Uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award. Anyway, I play that character on this show, and it's the lead role. And he's very much a Tony Soprano type uh, guy who's a take no crap from anybody type of guy, and he's a a, a huge alpha male. Okay. But if you go on, if you go on Amazon Prime, I think um, four or five episodes are up, and. Um, um, and it's called Promised Land, all one word. I'll 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 text oh, you the logo. But um so and and I just I'm just finishing up a mini series, a twelve part mini series, and my producers at Amazon are willing to pitch it to Netflix. So <clears throat> so I'm hoping that I get to um not only sell this to them, but also play one of the lead characters because it was actually tailored for me. And um, we would just have to cast the the um, the other character. Oh my goodness! I I don't know how you have time to do anything else other than <laughs> than all of it. You're so deep into this. My goodness! I uh, I when you mentioned Twelve Angry Men, I, I just wanted to say briefly that one of my favorite interviews was with Jack Klugman, 
and um, we, we talked a little bit about Twelve Angry Men, and that was uh, that was a, yeah. a thrill for me. But also, my oldest son Ian uh, is a screenwriter. I have to get him in touch with you. No uh, kidding. Tell him to call me. Yeah, he's uh, he's out in L.A. And most recently, he was a script doctor on a project involving Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr. of the Fifth Dimension. And, um, <laughs> and, and of I mean, Marilyn McCoo, McCoo and Billy Davis Jr., the group. And uh, they they just um, they just uh, guest hosted on Sirius Radio on Sirius 70s. Ah, okay. They well, did a show on, on, on 70s on 7. Oh, okay. I'll have to tell him that. I, maybe he already knows. He probably, probably already knows. Now, your son is in L.A., and I haven't seen you at my house. <laughs> well, I haven't been to L.A. in a while, either. Uh, but as I said earlier, I love California. and uh, I started to say love Southern California, but I, actually, when I think about it, I've loved all of California. Um, I say that straight. I, I love California. Yeah, I, I you I know, th this is an amazing place. I came out here on a two-week vacation in 1980, and and here I stay. <laughs> well, were you a lesbian before you came out? Have you always been a Oh yeah, yeah. I went to I went to uh, performing arts. I studied uh, performing arts in Toronto, and um, and then took what I learned doing stage in Toronto. I took it to New York, and I couldn't get any Broadway work. Um, but I I got on a plane. I you know actually it's funny. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this maybe another time. But uh, I got on a plane with eighty dollars cash to my name, and landed in L.A. And I looked around and I thought, yeah, this is not for me. It's, it's kind of a bad interpretation of New York. And I thought San Francisco or San Diego. And I took a little puddle jumper and I came down to San Diego. And like three hours later, I got work. Like three hours wow. after I landed, I got I got work right away. And um, I, and I thought, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is it. Right? I, I'm I'm where I'm oh, supposed to be. That's the omen. Yeah. 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 I got it. <laughs> I got a knot in my stomach just hearing you recall that. Yeah, I remember it was four four twenties. I had folded up in a little billfold, and and I thought, okay, the moment I landed, I thought the clock is running. Like I'm a, like like in the NFL, I'm on the clock. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know anybody? No, no, I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. Oh no, oh, no, I didn't know anybody. I just, oh. I mean, you know, one of the things I was taught in. In performing arts is you know and this teacher you know stepped away from the curriculum and he said one of the things you have to learn about being an actor being a performer is that every single day you have to do something that scares the SH out of you oh wow okay so I, I, every day you must do something that absolutely scares you and you must do it yeah you know whatever it is just just overcome all your fears because because this industry is not looking for somebody that has apprehensions. Okay. You know, but I mean, when I when when you know, I when I had my partner on the show, I talked about um, um, the fact that when I was trying to get into the Screen Actors Guild, the rules were that you can join the union if you have a speaking part in a union film, and you can't get a speaking part in a union film unless you're in the union. <laughs> right, those were the rules, right? So the so, so you could ask your son. The only way to get in is if you're on a set, 
and a situation comes up in which they have to give you a line, then they give you what's called a Taft-Hartley contract and it's called being it's called being tafted and if they taft you that makes you eligible to join the union because you've spoken a line in a union project and that makes you eligible to join the union so i go on this set of out for justice with steven seagal i have no idea in 1989 who he is but i did know he wasn't an actor i mean i'm a trained actor and i knew he wasn't an actor and i began spending the next three days making fun of everything from his William Shakespeare shirt to the ponytail to the way he runs and, and, and needless to say, his acting. So after three days of this, we got ready to do the scene and he actually bum-rushes me in the movie and throws me backwards over a railing and down a flight of stairs. And, oh yeah, no, no, if you watch out for justice, I'm, I'm supposed to be guarding Gina Gershon, who's doing her first film, and the two of us are in this scene with Steven Seagal, and Seagal had had enough of me. He had had enough of me. And, and so he just rams me, and the railing hit just below my butt cheeks, so most of my body weight was up high, and we were in a soundstage. So the flight of stairs wasn't like a dozen steps. It was like 30 steps. And I just kept rolling down the stairs, hoping not to get my, my head caught in the railing. And I looked up, and at the end of the scene, I look up in shock, that he just did this. But little did I know at the time, that was what would get me tafted because they immediately gave me a stunt contract. They immediately gave me a credit in the movie. And the next thing I knew, I had an agent and my career was on its way. But Seagal, since that day, has never spoken to me. And we've, we've been to parties together and he has never spoken to me. He remembers how much verbal abuse he took from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would you have the um, the um, intestinal fortitude <laughs> to do something? <laughs> you know what? You, every day you do something that scares the hell out of you. He's he's six he's six four, and and he was probably about two sixty five. But he wasn't in particularly good shape. I wasn't afraid of him. I didn't realize about his martial arts stuff. I didn't know who he was. I had no idea who he was. I'd never seen um, whatever the first one he did was. I'd never seen um, his his other film. I, I really didn't know who he was. But I did know he wasn't a trained actor. I knew he wasn't in the club. You know, he wasn't one of us. And so, so I, I just, I just thought, okay, I'm going to make fun of this guy. You know, like, I mean, why does he, why does he have so many lines? <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but you know what? When you when you come out here, my wife Karen will make up a feast. You know, we'll go down a little Italy. We'll have something to eat there. We'll spend time at the beach. We'll make it. A, we'll make it a nice trip. Um, you, obviously, if you're out here, you got to visit your son. Well, we'll all get together. We'll have a little dinner in L.A. You know, um, uh, maybe maybe what we'll do is uh, a friend of mine, um, Marcus Dixon, um, is a coach with the Rams. I just uh, I was just up there for the Super Bowl when he won the Super Bowl. I was so happy for him. Maybe we'll invite he and his wife, and we'll just you know just make it a big meal, you know. And because uh, I mean he'll probably well he won't have his ring yet. 
He'll have his ring. He'll have his ring in September, but um, oh, but he, yeah, yeah, but uh, <laughs> but he won. He won the Super Bowl. You know, his team won the Super Bowl, and he was a, a defensive coach. So, uh, oh, that's great. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll have some fun. You know, the thing that uh, some of in, in the movie that I I produced and, and acted in, uh, some of uh, the actors got their sad cards from from my movie, which was it was kind of nice. I felt like the. Uh, the, the uncle sort of and, and help them move. Now, what was the name? Of, what was the name of your film? What was the name of your film? It's uh, Reunion One Hundred Eight. It has an IMDb page and, and all that, but it's uh, Reunion One Hundred Eight. Your face. Uh huh. It's an in your face, um, strongly R-rated, uh, more or less a clubhouse baseball movie. Very little baseball played. Uh, it's, it's more of a relationship movie. Um, with a little satire in it, uh, but now, it was fun. It was a fun shoot. I want to. I want to tell. I want to tell the listeners because several several actors. I mean, obviously, we have we have probably twelve hundred actors, friends of mine that listen to the show each week, and um, um, we had a guest on. Uh, we had uh, Tony Welch on, who was in The Irishman, and he has that famous right. scene with Al Pacino where he walks. Um, where he walks him out of prison. He's the prison guard. And it was actually played at the Academy Awards and stuff. So Tony um, talks about the fact that there were two prison guards. And he had called me and said, hey, listen, I'm doing this movie with Mar Marty Scorsese. And they need a second prison guard. And you and I are the same size. And we both would tower over Al Pacino. So it would be an intimidated scene, intimidating scene as we walk him out of the prison. Why don't we do this scene together? And I had to get on a plane to shoot a film here in California. And I had to, I literally had to turn down doing a film with Martin Scorsese because I was obligated to be in Southern California to do another film that I had already signed to do. So Tony gives me a little bit of hell about the fact that, you know, I could have been in The Irishman with him. And um, he has gotten his career. Um, he did, he produced a movie since called Street Smart. Um, in which um, he co-stars with um, uh, the kid that played um, Joe Pesci as a child in Goodfellas and also in Bronx Tale with the Four Aces uh, Club where the same actor um, played um, played a young, like uh, the Joey Pesci, Tommy, the, the Tommy character from Goodfellas. And um, <laughs> so Tony gives me hell about that. And I know when you were getting ready to produce your film... And you contacted my wife, and and I and I I was like, oh my god, because I was doing a TV series called Uncharted, where I played the uh, parent, uh, the father of uh, of of the lead character. I played I played the parent who's um, just a just a bad role model, and um, I'm like Al Bundy of of fathers, and um, and it's a very funny show, and so I'm asking you on the air in front of everybody. You have forgiven me for not working on your project, have you not? Oh, stop. <laughs> I, you, you, I wouldn't even thought of it. Uh, okay, good. Because, because I mean, the next one you do, the next one you do, I will clear that time to be there and do it. No, no. Oh, stop. Stop okay. that. Uh, right. But the Irishman, I went to the premiere up here and in a town not too far from me, and my youngest son, uh, who's, who's, well, all my kids are in the movie, uh, but my youngest son, who's more of a, a, a trainer by, by, by trade, 
um, uh, had trained Lucy Galena, who played uh, uh, actually somebody's daughter in the movie. Was that um, uh, was it Pacino? No, it was uh, De Niro's daughter. Played De Niro's daughter in the movie. And then she and her twin sister live not too far from us, and they were in the movie The Irishman. As I'm looking at the IMDb page, she's on the first page. So I don't know as many people as you. You're the liaison to everybody. <laughs> I, I, can drop, I can drop maybe one-tenth of the names you can No, drop. stop. You've stop. Got, you've got so I, I'll, I'll you've tell got you what. Um, you, you have so many projects just in your head. I, I was so I was actually as a kid I was fascinated with the whole Jimmy Hoffa coming up missing thing, and I was so relieved because I didn't think in my lifetime they would find him. I was so relieved when they found him, and and I thought, oh, that, you know, it took forty five years or so, but they finally finally located his remains. And that whole thing about him being buried in the end zone at Giant Stadium. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize they had found his remains. Oh yeah, they, yeah. Like two years ago, um, the guy who said he was a part of killing him in Detroit, and then they they trucked his body down in a in a barrel, one of those big steel barrels, and sealed it. And they actually put the barrel amongst like a thousand other barrels all stacked up and nobody was looking through a thousand barrels this guy was about to die and he said exactly where he was and they found jimmy hoffa's remains yeah you can look it up on the internet it's uh it was it was um it was it was quite revealing because this guy was not going to jail i mean he, he was going six feet under he was about to die and he revealed what they did with the body oh jeez. yeah yeah, huh? that. yeah, we did. We actually did. Um, we talked about it on the show a couple of years ago. Um, that that the the mystery was finally over, and this guy said, "Yeah, there's a thousand barrels. I don't know which one he's in, but he's in there." And they began opening barrels, and they found him. <laughs> Where were the barrels? Um, were they? You know what? I could I could probably I could probably stop the show and look it up, but um, but the oh, barrel they, they were in Jersey somewhere, and they had driven it. They had shot him to death in the doorway of a house in Detroit and then drove the body in the barrel down to Jersey and then put it amongst like a thousand other barrels. And they just figured nobody would ever open all these barrels. And they were right. Nobody ever did. And I guess when you open it, it, just, it would just explode, wouldn't it, from the gases of the body? Um, I think what they did was they had, they had bones because... Um, oh. Yeah, everything else had had disintegrated, but they were able to verify it was him. Oh, yeah. If you go if you go on the internet, you'll see uh, you'll see that it was uh, it was about two years ago, and uh, yeah, Jimmy Hoffa, you know that mystery's over. Because I mean, people were saying he was buried at Giant Stadium and this and that. It became this kind of kind of folklore. Yeah, yeah, but we've heard all that. Yeah, yeah. But the truth of the matter is, they, yeah, they they just they they got rid of him in in Detroit, and then and then just kind of blended him in in Jersey. I don't want to make any Jersey jokes, but you know, I got to figure he's not the only body that's blended in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> only East Coasters will get that joke. <laughs> yeah, that's, 
there might be a body or two in the back there. It may be as many as five. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, so Billy, uh, as the as the season progresses, I know we're I know we're just scraping the surface, but we're almost thirty games in of one hundred and sixty-two. And we're going to get a full season, even with the lockout occurring. I always tell people it wasn't a strike. It was a lockout. The owners locked the doors. Right. 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 Don't mix those two up. I mean, but um, <laughs> but as this progresses, now at 20 and 8, could you see the Yankees at 40 and 16? Stay in pace? Mm, no. I, I would. I would think thirty. Well, let's see. You know, if they get to forty wins and they're and they're at sixteen or less losses, you're getting a text. Okay. That's, that's okay. If, they're, if they're forty and sixteen, I'll. Uh, uh, you've won. Right. <laughs> well, I'm thinking they're going to have a a little more challenging part of their schedule coming up. I want to say they play the Angels sometime soon. Well, and, when they uh, play the Angels, they come. They they when they play the Angels. Um, my team, my Yankees team that I play with, uh, we usually go as guests of the Angels. I, I know, I know this oh, is killing wow. your Yeah, so they actually called us. Um, they called me uh, about two weeks ago to find out how many uh, seats we're going to need for the as the Yankees visit, and um, and then they put us up on the uh, on the Diamond Vision and and thank us for being there. But the one thing they ask is that we all wear at least our jerseys. Our Yankees jerseys. So when they put us on the Diamond Vision, you know, you see oh, the support right. for the Yankees. Because when the, when the Yankees play in Anaheim, it's like a Yankees home game. All the Yankee, all the all the uh, Yankee fans buy out all the Angels fans' tickets, and it's like a it's like a Yankees home game. I I um um Artie Moreno, the owner, in in uh, 2009, a friend of mine has the recycle contract. I know we're going a little long on this, but he has the recycle contract. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, Rick Norman um, got the opportunity to sit in the owner's box with Artie. And so he's got a balcony. He's got a balcony. And and I show up in not only a Yankees shirt, but a Yankees jacket in the owner's box for the Angels. And needless (laughs) needless to say, I made the highlight reel on ESPN that night. But um, and the Yankees uh, beat the Angels that that night like nine to one. So I was cheering on the balcony, and and when you when you go, well, you've been in the owners' boxes before. I mean, you could ask for anything you want in advance. You could ask for like yeah. lobster from Maine, and they'll make sure it's there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and those big yeah. refrigerators of every beer on the planet. You know, I'm not a drinker, but I mean, if I were, that would be heaven. <laughs> you know. Wait, well, tell me this. Why would an Angels fan... Now, I understand that uh, the the Yankees travel well. And it, believe me, they traveled well in Texas. <laughs> the Red Sox, everybody traveled seemed, uh, as though everyone traveled well in Texas. But why would an Angels fan for a Yankee series give up their tickets? Because so many... way over, over uh, base value. So many Yankees fans overwhelm the laid-back Southern California Angels fans that they just don't want to put up with it. They just don't want to deal with it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Oh, so okay. so, so they just okay. they just say, screw it. 
you know, I'll go to the beach. Like I said, it's Southern California. I'll, I'll go biking. I'll go hiking. I'll do something else. I don't need to be there while Yankees fans are giving me hell. Right. right. I got it now. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so, and I belong to a Yankees uh, meetup group, which is, um, there's about 400 of us. And um, we try to go to Yankees Angels games too. But when you go there, I would say about 10 or 12% of the whole stadium are Angels fans. Rest of it, I mean, when the Yankees fans start cheering, you would think you're in the Bronx. Yeah, yeah. I found that annoying as a player, but yes, <laughs> I understood it. But now, did they do roll call when you were playing? No, no. And in fact, I was going to ask you, uh, because I'm old enough to, to remember these things that didn't happen back then. What would have been your walk-up music back in the day? Because I, I was before walk-up music. Uh, I was certainly before guys would hit a home run and style at the plate and and look at their watch, or supposed to watch, and say it's their time. And you know, oh, oh my goodness! Hang on, I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly what I would what I would do as my walk-up music. Hang on a second here. I'm going to play it right now because. Uh, Hang on a second. <laughs> Hang on a second here. I, I'm looking for it right now. Oh, okay. Right here it is. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna play. Let me just get it to uh, exactly where it needs to be. This is this is what my my walk up music would be. Now let me just let me just line it up because I already know. Because when when I play at the World Championships in um, when I play at the World Championships in um, Phoenix in October, a certain number of teams make it to the World Champions, like 64 teams, and you end up playing seven games in six days. Oh, right, right. I mean, Canseco is out there. Mike Morgan is out there. Steve, um, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Finley is out there. I mean, there's a lot of guys that, that played pro, and they're out there. But this is exactly oh, this is exactly what I have. I either have put me in coach if I'm coming in out of the bullpen, or if I'm starting and I'm warming up, this is my music. Do you know what that is? It took it took me a while to, to understand it. Okay. Yeah. It's it's yeah. it's the Rocky Two Overture. Yeah. What what is what yeah. I consider to be the greatest workout or sports music is the Rocky Two Overture from Rocky Two, and um, yeah. as a matter of fact, when uh, when Karen and I got married, and we um, and the um, uh, minister turned around and said, "I'd like to present you." with Mr. and Mrs. Vecchio. And we had a Bluetooth six-foot speaker because it was an outdoor wedding. And we had it queued right to 14 seconds in to Rocky II Overture as we turned around <laughs> for that. 
as you walk back down the aisle. No, no, we we, we were actually uh, by by uh, Mission Bay, um, where we got married. We got married on a hill on Mission Bay, and um, and then we began greeting everybody. And that's like about a nine minute song, and so we got a chance to just greet everybody. We had about um, oh, I don't know, about 150, 200 people at the wedding. Whole bunch of whole bunch of actors were there networking, but <laughs> but they were in attendance. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you I'll tell you something funny. I should when you come out here, I'll show you our our wedding video. But um, we had people from the West Coast and people from the East Coast, and people from the East Coast were dressed in suits, whereas people from the West Coast were dressed in shorts and flip-flops. Like, you could tell who was who, right? And, I mean, they're at a wedding, and they're dressed... So, I got up there, and Karen did her vows and everything, and put the ring on. Then it was my turn. And I said, Karen, I am the general, and you are a lowly seaman. I give the orders and you take the orders. Who does that remind you of? I don't know, but I'm sure she laughed. As Ra- said, Ralph, yeah, right. Ralph Cramden from the Honeymooners. Oh. Right, right? So I go into this rant, and the jaws of the West Coast people dropped. And it, it didn't occur to us until after the wedding like until the ceremony was over, the people from the West Coast didn't know what the hell was going on, but they were freaking out. And the people from the East Coast thought, oh yeah, that's the honeymooners, that's funny. So Karen Karen tore up my vows, and she said, how do you actors do that? What is it, take two? You better have another set of vows to read. <laughs> so, so people from the West Coast began asking us, what? Was that all about? Why did you start yelling at her? And then it occurred to me that the people out here, they don't play the honeymooners on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah. So they've never seen that. Well, you, you can see it now on memorable TV. Uh, like who? Now they'll, they'll play the honeymooners on Sunday. That's, yeah. yeah, on but, me, yeah. me TV or, or Laugh TV yeah. or something. Right. But these yeah. these folks out here did not grow up with the honeymooners. They didn't know what was happening, right. and <laughs> and you know you know Neil Berg, you know Woody, you know you know Neil Berg, right? right? And Neil right. grabbed me and hugged me, and in my ear he said, "Wow, right in front of her mother. Go big or go home." <laughs> 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 it was hilarious, <clears throat> but. Um, but those that that weren't familiar with it were shocked. <laughs> yeah, I, they're probably fearing for her. Like, oh my goodness, what did she? No, she didn't. She she stood right up, tore up the, that paper, and <laughs> and said, "You better have another set of vows ready to go." <laughs> anyway, Billy. So what we'll do is we'll um, you're gonna you've got an open invite. I mean, literally, you can just show up at my house. As long as I'm in town, no, you're no, in. I'll, I'll give you fair, <laughs> fair warning. Yeah, but we, we have, a, we have a, a bedroom for you all ready to go. You just come on out here. We'll have a great time. And so closer to the All-Star break, I'll give you another call, and we'll take another peek at how the Yankees are doing. All right. Good, Jack. Sound good? Yeah, we'll see if they're going to be. Let's see. The All-Star break, that'll be about two and a half months, so. 
if it's 40 and 16, then let's say... 40 and 16 will put us just before the All-Star break. It'll put us about the end of uh, end of June. Okay. All right. That's good. And and I'll... Um, well, you might be right. I, For your sake, I... I hope that uh, the big Yankees and uh, your Yankees as well yeah, are playing thanks. at about a 40 and 16 clip. Well, we'd like to have you out here. Come watch uh, Come watch the adult Yankees play. You could see me pitch a little bit. Oh, sure. I, I would lo- Jack, I would love watching you play. I don't have any desire to, <laughs> to put on. I will umpire. <laughs> I will keep score. But we'll, we'll, give you, we'll give you a uniform to wear in the dugout. How's that? Yeah, that's good. I, I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> my, my, my knee, my knee, saying Billy, that's about it. Okay. Well, tell you, tell your son to to give me a call because um, I'm I'm about on um, on uh, episode eleven of the twelve episodes for this uh, Netflix things we're going to submit. Um, and um, oh, by the way, I, I should I should text you to you, but uh, we entered. Um, the partial script in several screenwriting competitions and in like eight out of 12 of them, we were finalists. Oh, okay. And it's well, not, e- it's not even done. Yeah. It's yeah. not even okay. done yet. So that's, so that's promised land that you're in now. I uh, promised land is the, is the series on Amazon prime and I'll send you the logo. I'll text it to you. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Jack. All right. Well, Appreciate thank you very much for coming on. Billy. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, as, as always. Now you get now get your ass out here and enjoy some sunshine. I tell you, that'd be great. <laughs> All right, thank man. you. Thanks. All right, take Appreciate care, it. Billy. Talk to you later. Bye bye. You too. Bye bye. That was former New York Yankees center fielder Billy Sample coming on the show to talk a little Yankees baseball, a little entertainment talk a little bit of this a little bit of that and that was a lot of fun but let's get back to the show um in the um in the nl east the mets are the other new york team going crazy and in their division they're playing like a pro team against minor league division i'll tell you there it looks like they're playing double a ball against uh, they're they're playing pro against double a ball um the mets are 20 and 10 with a six game lead over the defending champion atlanta braves and the marlins the marlins also they have a six game lead in that division and the marlins just lost a heartbreaker to the san diego padres as the padres found themselves down two zip going into the bottom of the ninth here at petco in san diego and then with two on and two outs sulcer of the marlins is pitching and he has an era of .077 in 12 outings and he hung a curveball on his first pitch and Alfaro of the Padres crushed that first pitch to center field for a walk-off three-run homer. Now, speaking of the NL West, which used to be referred to as the NL Worst, is now the most competitive division in all of baseball along with the AL East with my Yankees, the Blue Jays, and the Tampa Bay Rays. Now, the NL West has a three-way fight 
it's going on, and it's not going to end anytime soon. I said this early on. I'm saying it now. The Padres, as of now, are leading the wild card race all by themselves, while the entire NL West is separated by only three games in total. And this is a dogfight that's going to get ugly before it gets resolved. The Milwaukee Brewers are leading their division with the same record as the Mets in the East as the Cardinals and Pirates are struggling to keep pace. In that division, the Cubs and Reds, yeah, they're already out of it. They're going to start selling off talent because their season has fallen apart 30 games in. Now you talk about um, that struggle and those that succeed and those who struggle. Let's talk about Paul Sorrentino. The employer lawyer that defends and protects small business owners, companies, and huge corporations from false or unjustified or unwarranted lawsuits against ownership or management. If you're under fire with your small business or your company or your corporation, you call Paul Sorrentino, the employer lawyer. That is the attorney that doesn't struggle and doesn't stumble but succeeds all the time. Call Paul Sorrentino at Jackson Lewis at 619-573-4900 and ask for the employer lawyer and then step aside and let Paul Sorrentino do what he was meant to do. He's considered one of the best attorneys in America and he will protect and defend you to make sure your business doesn't suffer due to an unfounded lawsuit. Paul Sorrentino, 619-573-4900 and tell him you heard about him on JV to the pros. Now, on to the most exciting two minutes in all of sports, which is the Kentucky Derby. This week, the Kentucky Derby was run in Louisville, Kentucky as the 148th running of the Kentucky Derby went off with a sound favorite in Epicenter, which was going off at 7-2, while Strike Rich was added to the field as a last-minute replacement and not expected to finish in the top 12 as Strike Rich went off as the long shot at 80-1. Well, Strike Rich did just that. If you bet on Strike Rich, you got 80 to 1 on your money, as this turned out to be the biggest upset in Kentucky Derby history since 1913. Coming down the stretch, Epicenter had this thing all sewn up until, well, you know what? Let me let you just kind of listen to the call for yourself. Crown Pride and Epicenter is coming up on the outside. Epicenter has taken the lead as they arrive into the final furlong. Sandin is coming after him. Epicenter and Sandin, these two strive for stride. Simplification down the outside is next. They're coming down to the wire. Epicenter, Sandin, Rich Strike is coming up on the inside. Oh my goodness, the longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby. Rich Strike has done it. I've been calling it Strike Rich. It's Rich Strike. That's right. Rich Strike oh, ends up <clears throat> beating Epicenter. 
And Epicenter was about 40 yards from winning the Kentucky Derby when out of nowhere, Rich Strike split the field, found an opening, and blew through to challenge Epicenter down the stretch and come away with one of the greatest upsets in sports history. Now, speaking of upsets, the word upset actually came to be when a great racehorse, Man of War, had won 21 straight races in the early 20th century before losing to a horse named, you guessed it, Upset, which immediately became synonymous with a long shot beating a favorite. Upset was an 8-1 to one long shot, which put Upset in the expectation of probably finishing 5th or 6th against Man of War, but instead beat the famous and now infamous Man of War to stop the winning streak of Man of War at 21 wins in a row. <sighs> Rich Strike wins the Kentucky Derby. I don't think this horse is going to win the Triple Crown, but who knows? This horse finishes strong. Down the stretch is its wheelhouse. So let's see what happens when we get to the Preakness in Belmont. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last sports story on this episode will be that the San Diego Soccers won their 16th championship this past weekend as they beat the Florida Tropic 4-3 to to assure themselves as one of the greatest dynasties in soccer history. The San Diego Soccers at one point won 10 championships in 11 seasons and most of this team this year will stay intact which makes them the favorite to win the indoor soccer championship again next year let's see you do that patriots come on can you win 10 out of 11 championships patriots no we are grateful to the san diego soccers for their excellence and professionalisms and being a staple in the San Diego community, and congratulations to the San Diego Soccers on their 16th championships. Well, <clears throat> I want to throw in something after my story last week about the threat of Roe v. Wade possibly being overturned and making it a state-by-state -state ruling. I did plan on having Paul Sorrentino on to talk about this, but this week I'm doing the show in the mid-morning, and Paul Sorrentino is a lawyer, a very good lawyer, and he's in a deposition this morning and can't stop that to come on the show and talk about this. We'll have him on next week to discuss the latest development. Well, a legislator in Missouri said something that makes me wonder who the hell we're voting into office in this country. He said, and I'm paraphrasing here, that as he understands it, in the event of a rape, a woman's body will not allow itself to get pregnant as it's been told to him. Are you kidding me? How does someone make a speech like that without doing some background investigating? The next thing I heard was another state leader has been quoted in saying that we must stop 
all these abortions in America because in America, she said, there are 64 million abortions performed each year. What the hell? First of all, there are somewhere between 650,000 and 800,000 abortions performed each year in America. The reason the numbers aren't accurate are because so many youngsters that get pregnant reach out for help in ways that go around the state laws that often threaten the freedom of those that seek abortion for reasons of incest or rape or just because they're not ready to be a parent. Now, these conservatives really need to stop this crap. You know, you watch. You know, once they overturn the right to have an abortion, the next target will be to make homosexuality illegal. It's a sad statement of the state of this country and the fact that politicians don't know their ass from their elbow about what they're talking about, yet they're changing laws that affect all of us is frightening. Now I'm going to shift gears and I'm going to tell you about a happy but odd good news story out of Michigan. Now this guy in Oakland, Michigan was getting gas when he happened to see that the lottery had gone over $200,000. It was a local lottery. So he bought a few tickets, but didn't give it another, another thought until there was mention that the winning ticket was worth over $242,000 and the winner hadn't come forward yet. Again, this guy didn't think much of it until he was cleaning out his wallet and came across the ticket and then checked the numbers to see if he won anything. Well, he won it all. He describes it as an awesome feeling. I, I guess it might be. <laughs> I'd like to experience that feeling sometime. He was cleaning out his wallet to see if any of the numbers matched to find out that he won $242,000. Well, I'll tell you what, good for him. I mean, congratulations. That, that, is, that is quite a lucky find. Now, this next story centers around goodwill now we all know goodwill where people donate stuff and then goodwill sells them pretty inexpensively just to kind of move them out of the store my wife producer karen shops at goodwill thrift stores etc looking for treasures she's come up with a few amazing deals that the thrift store didn't know that they had but nothing like our next story a texas antiques dealer purchased a what he thought was a replica bust of a Roman relic, not knowing he paid $34.99 for a 2,000-year-old Roman relic. It was under a table in the store, but the dealer could see that it was made of marble and would be worth at least the $34.99 that's on the price tag, and he could get more than $50 for it. Wow, how to turn a profit, huh? After some investigation, the bust was discovered to have been in a 100-year-old catalog and had been smuggled here by a U.S. World War II soldier from Germany and hidden in San Antonio, but got lost soon thereafter until it turned up at this goodwill store and had a 
price tag attached to it. The antiques dealer, to his credit, agreed to have the bust displayed in the museum to be shared with all. As he put it, this was the right thing to do. And he's right. It was the right thing to do. Well, we had a bit of a long show tonight, today, this morning, on this day, whatever. <laughs> but it was a fun show. And I really want to thank Billy Sample, former center fielder for the New York Yankees, for coming on the show. He's not only a guest on the show, but he's also a friend of mine. And obviously, he's going to be coming out and staying at our house. But season four, episode 17 is in the books, as we'd like to thank our sponsors, Rob Van Dam and his CBD oil. And that's for pain relief and muscle soreness. We'd also like to thank Paul Sorrentino, the employer lawyer that doesn't leave any stones unturned until he's done. <clears throat> and as soon as he's done doing everything he can to protect your small business, your company, or corporation, he won't stop. Paul Sorrentino is the one to call if your business is under wrongful attack. Call Paul Sorrentino at 619-573-4900 if you need someone who will protect your business. I'd like to thank producer Karen, the Queen of Queens, New York, for doing all the post-production effort. After, <laughs> after I dropped this file in her lap for posting and and she's just done a ton of work researching all the stories you've just heard she goes back over everything and does her research to make sure everything is factual before she puts it up also we'd like to thank you the listeners for keeping this show going you can listen to this show on facebook where you can leave comments or compliments about the show and if you have any suggestions for the show leave those comments as well you could also hear the show on Spotify. Just do a Google search for JV to the Pros. We're on so many platforms. I don't want to mention them. I'll end up losing my voice. That is Season 4, Episode 17 of JV to the Pros. We'll have another fantastic show for you next week. Stay safe and we'll talk soon. By the way, we will try to get Paul Sorrentino on the show to discuss the whole Roe v. Wade threat going on. That is Season 4, Episode 17 of JV to the Pros. Stay safe, and we'll see you next week.